Welcome to Godsplaining, contemplative preachers, contemporary age. Each week, join the Dominican friars as they consider all things Catholic. Hello, friends. Welcome back to Godsplaining. If you are looking at this episode on YouTube, you notice something right away. We're on location. We're on location. <laughs> Big things are happening for the Godsplaining podcast. So this past week, and we just had our first in-person podcast event, uh, you know, the first thing for the podcast. So one of the goals that we have in undertaking the project is that we want to use the podcast to bring people together. Yes. Our claim mm-hmm. is that mm-hmm. the digital sphere is not just an, an you know, an entire dumpster fire, <laughs> and then the internet can actually be used for good things. Not that it isn't, you know, mostly a dumpster fire. There's certain but sections of it that are. It's, not, it's just uh, not a dumpster fire that's like floating down a river. Yeah, it's, the, it's kind of stationary. You know where the the fires are and right. where to avoid. Yeah, it's, it's a stationary dumpster fire. Well said. Good things can happen on the internet, yes, and we want yes. to we want to use the podcast to bring people together, and that's what we did this weekend. So we are still here on mm-hmm, location. Mm-hmm. At Immaculate Conception Seminary in Huntington, New York, and we're filming this episode in the extraordinary chapel of the cemetery. Seminary. Whoops. Wow. <laughs> no seminary. Right. There's a certain type of type of death that happens. Death to self. Yeah, in I think sem- that's right. Seminary, right? Sure. Which is good. Which is good. Classic mm-hmm. slip-ups. Um, what a nice little gaffe there. That'll make at least Katie laugh. Maybe uh, maybe other people in the podcast. We'll see. For those of you that weren't on retreat, you maybe have not yet met Katie, but Katie's our, uh, Katie's our executive assistant, mm-hmm. uh, the show's producer, perhaps, even if you We will. could call it, yeah. But executive she, uh, producer. She maybe. gets our act together. So shout out to Katie. So here we are on location at Immaculate Conception Seminary. Mm-hmm. And we decided today that we wanted to speak to you about architecture uh, in the church because we were so moved by oh the goodness. seminary chapel. It, it, it was such a beautiful place for our liturgies. The, this, the chapel, the the cloister walks, the porticos, the hallways, everything had this just absolutely uh, captivating. And it, you could tell that being in this physical environment at this location in, in a building that is built in such a way it prepared one to be on this retreat. You know, there Mm. was a spiritual preparedness just by being surrounded in this type of building. And so as we were, you know, reflecting on the retreat and how, um, we kept saying many times how perfect this place is to be on retreat. Right. Um, but why is that? And part of that is the way the building was built, the way it was designed and its features in the different types of, um, artwork and, and things like that, that just being immersed in that helps one in the physical immersion helps one to be kind of spiritually prepared for, um, you know, the graces and the spiritual gifts of a retreat in that way. Now, maybe it's just that we sat on one of these bridges for two hours as we were driving in. Thank you, New York traffic. Looks Ew. like the <laughs> pandemic is really over. But as we were approaching the seminary, yeah. um, it was clear that the, the bishop who wanted this uh, to be the seminary here was thinking that he would lead and form his men in a space set apart. So we're not here in the middle of a city. No, it's a it's a it's a very gentle country setting. I mean, the the landscape itself is peaceful and restful, and so all of that yeah. um, is, is the situation uh, that Father Joseph Anthony is talking about. Well, that's the that is how the seminary rather is situated, and at the heart of all of this incredible architecture and layout is is this incredible chapel. 
Catholics were not the first ones to think of ornamented places of worship uh, or to place a premium on them. So, Father Joseph Anthony, why don't you say a few words about, uh, about where our tradition of building beautiful places for worship comes? With so much of our faith. Right, so much of our patrimony, really, it goes back to our elder brothers and sisters in the Jewish faith, mm-hmm. and in our relationship with God, right, as as God calls His people to Himself, um, He actually invites them to go to specific places for worship. Think about Moses, right, right? in 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 the burning bush. He says, "Go and and bring my people up into this mountain so that they can offer sacrifice for me." In in that kind of movement, the Lord has always desired for worship, for sacrifice to take place in specific places. And he doesn't abandon his people. It's not that he's only accessible in these individual geographic locations, right? right? right. And his promise is that he remains with his people mm. through the wilderness. But when it comes to specific things like worship, specific things like sacrifice, he identifies where that's to be done. And so throughout all of the journey of the Israelites, you know, it was to get to the promised land. And once they got there, they built a permanent house of worship for the Lord in the temple. And it then is is, uh, and, and there's so many really, really cool features of the ancient temple in Jerusalem mm-hmm. that bring about the entire cosmos, right? The, the created order is now brought into its perfection in the worship of God in, in his sacrifice. And so we carry that tradition on, and a lot of what we continue on, on into the Catholic faith was begun in, you know, it comes to its fulfillment in Christ, but we see its beginnings in the Old Testament as well. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really beautiful point that you're making about the temple itself. For the people of Israel, the temple was supposed to be a, a recreation of yeah. uh, of creation. I, and I know that's <laughs> I know that sounds like a silly thing to say, but in in building the temple, human beings were imitating God's own labors of making. Right. And so the so the temple, which was rich and ornate and filled with all kinds of wondrous things from all over the world, um, uh, the temple was supposed to was supposed to uh, imitate that first creation. And so, if you look at, if you look at the creation accounts, the descriptions of the Garden of Eden, you find these you find the details like the the river and all of the stones, the the precious gems that that were that, that were there in the garden. And then you find these same things uh, in the temple. Um, you find you find water. You find the the richly ornamented stones. You find uh, uh, you find the trees, the wooden panels of the temple. You know, making us think of the the tree of knowledge of good and evil um, in the garden. I think one of my favorite things, and I, if I remember correctly, I may be misquoting this. I think it was uh, Josephus, the Jewish historian. Okay. Um, as he described different aspects of the temple, he said above one of the doorways there are grape clusters. Mm. Right. But these grape clusters were six feet tall. Wow! And and just like the 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 immensity of that, but you sh- you see that uh, bringing you into all of these things. So yes, these aspects of creation in um, Genesis then are brought into perfect worship with God. It's not this kind of separation from creation into this utter spiritual realm, but it's the drawing of physical creation into its perfection by worshiping God in sacrifice inside of the temple. Now in monastic buildings, we've done this too. We've imitated that first garden, right? So the seminary 
where uh, Father Joseph Anthony and I were formed to be priests, the Dominican House of Studies, um, which is the home of the pontifical faculty of the Immaculate Conception. Shout out. Oh. Uh, <laughs> the, the seminary where we were formed is built in the traditional monastic structure, which means that uh, it, there are four walls surrounding a garden in the center. And why, why would there be a garden? Well, because it's a restful and pleasant space, <laughs> to be sure. In fact, in, in our garden, in the cloister at the Dominican House of Studies, one can forget that one is deep in, in the heart of Washington, D.C. Yeah. Um, you could just be, be lost in it. So there's the, the aspect of renewal that just comes from, from being out of doors in this seminary, certainly has that being s- situated as it is um, in, in, a, in a very, very beautiful location, um, uh, calling forth the beauty of nature. But, but building in this way, in this form, with a garden at the center, is a way of remaking Eden, of thinking back to that original garden where, where man encountered God, um, and thinking back to God's God's first plan for us to be living with him. And that's what the monastic life is, the religious life is, is it's a recreation of that original harmony that humans being ha- that human beings had with God, um, our, our attempts uh, to, to live as closely to God um, as might be had on this side of heaven. I think the other aspects of um, kind of our heritage that we, we don't need to be afraid of is that each style of architecture typically reflects the age as well mm. and what it's built and mm. this interesting needs of those people at that mm. age. Right. Um, and as we encounter different in architectures, that's why the, tr- the Catholic architecture is so varied. Right. You can look at Baroque architecture, right? With all their little fat cherub angels floating around. And it's just like the over, uh, abundance, of the, uh, of God. And you can find Gothic architecture, which is so famed for raising the heart and kind of directing everything upwards, Mm -hmm. you know, Romanesque architecture with its noble simplicity, with its arches and noble materials, but a kind of a minimalistic design in these things. So what is absolutely beautiful within the Catholic church is the fact that she's not afraid to embrace her children at wherever they be like in, in history in the hunger and needs of their people as it's reflected in the the buildings. And yet there's still consistency in something that's identifiably Catholic about these places and what happens in those places, primarily the sacrifices of the mass. Right. That's yeah. right. And you can see, you can see behind us um, th- that this chapel is beautifully ornamented. Um, mm-hmm. One, one line that I often say, I'm sure I've said it before on the podcast and I'll say it again because <laughs> I love it so much. Um, but, but there was a person who once um, encountered the the great uh, Catholic activist Dorothy Day, um, the great servant of the poor that she was, and said to mm-hmm. said to Dorothy, um, "Why are Catholic churches so richly ornamented? Wouldn't it be better if the treasures of the church were sold, and then that money could be taken and used for the care of the poor?" And Dorothy Day, devoted to Catholic worship uh, as she was, said, "Well, but there, where, where then?" If you know, if you were to do this, where then would the poor encounter beauty? Oh, no. Our churches are are richly ornamented, and they're open for all. You don't need uh, museum passes to to visit Catholic churches. Uh, there are uh, sadly some exceptions to this, but 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 writ large, parish churches are are, are for the people of God. Yeah. They're places of respite and of beauty. 
and they're beautiful because of uh, of this idea of recreation, but not just of Eden, um, because we're, as Father Joseph Anthony said, uh, that the church is a place of worship and of sacrifice, and because of that, um, our churches are intersections with the things of heaven. They're <laughs> transcendent. And so I, so one, one principle, despite the, the great variety that you're arguing for in Catholic architecture, one principle that I think is true is that if a church fails to reflect the transcendent, if it fails mm-hmm. to have something that that lifts the heart and mind to heaven about it, then it's ugly, <laughs> and it's a yeah. failed church. And 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 that that is chiefly what the purpose of the beauty, as the Dorothy Day is arguing for, the beauty for the poor, is that is that you go in and you encounter beauty, and your mind and heart ought to be by that beauty raised to heaven. It ought to feel transcendent. It ought to be the kind of place where something from above intersects the the ordinary, right? The, the things of earth. It's a tragedy. It's not that it's just ugly. I think it's it's tragic when a, a church, a place, a building that is supposed to communicate divine realities, it becomes, for lack of a better term, pedestrian. You know, it, it looks like every other building. It just blends in. There's nothing identifiable about it. It gets it gets lost in the mix. Right. Yeah, that's true. It's it's more it's it's more heavy than a building built in Bauhaus or you know yeah, or something like yeah. that. You know because it because it has failed to be the kind of thing which it ought to be. Right. Um, which is this intersection of heaven and earth. Well, great. Let's pause there, mm-hmm. uh, and when we come back after this break, we're going to talk about some of the particular elements to be found in Catholic churches and uh, give our two cents about about what they what they're for <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, how they ought to look. You are listening to Godsplaining. Visit us at godsplaining.org to listen to our episodes, shop our store, and donate to our podcast. All gifts go to improving the podcast and bringing the gospel to more listeners. Thanks for your support. Well, friends, welcome back. Uh, as I promised before our break, we're going to talk more about the, the ornamentation of churches, what is found in a Catholic church. Father Joseph Anthony, when I ask you what is the what is the the point of orientation, what is the most important thing in a Catholic church, what would you say? There are wrong answers. Absolutely. Well, it's the reason that we set up and framed our shot in the way that we did. Mm. It's it's right in the center. Mm. It's the tabernacle. It's Jesus in the Eucharist. Good. That is the correct answer. It's. I mean, everything. Our entire lives are to be Christocentric. If, if if our lives, our actions, our words, everything that we have is to be about Christ in the center, the p- origin and destination of everything, then in the building that is dedicated to worship of him, he needs to be in the center. Right. And, and it's wonderful to see even um, churches in how even the architecture and the physical structure of the building can assist that mm-hmm. and remind the person um it might be hard to see on the camera but there are a few uh choir stalls in the sanctuary here and they're angled in such a way to just slightly nudge you to focus on the tabernacle um this is important to me because our church our new church in charlottesville virginia st mm-hmm. thomas aquinas church uh the pews are angled in such a way that everybody has a direct eyesight direct eye lines to the tabernacle mm-hmm. And it's it's the church her I mean the building itself is 
orienting you to the most important thing. Mm -hmm. And every Catholic church needs to have Christ at the center. And that's just how it needs to be. I'm sorry. Our, our, our concept of what tabernacles are comes from the old Testament. You know, we were talking a little bit about how our church imitates, Mm -hmm. um, the practices of Israel in the old Testament, um, the Ark of the covenant, which contained the tablets of the law, the 10 commandments, bits from Aaron's staff, the, the rod by which he worked miracles, and um, some flakes of manna from the Old Testament. So that's what was in the Ark of the, the Covenant. The bread of heaven. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The, the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant was in a tabernacle of sorts in the temple. And so this is where our, co- our concept comes from. So when, when we say that the Eucharist is the fulfillment of these promises of God, of that first bread which God gave to sustain the Israelites in the desert, in the wilderness, the manna from heaven. Um, our food, the Eucharist, by which Christ sustains us now, is the is the fulfillment of this ancient promise. It is the the bread which continues to nourish us on our pilgrim journey, and that's why our that's why our uh, churches are such privileged places because they have the very presence of God. The Eucharist is, of course, not just a food which nourishes us, no. us but it is God. It is God's dwelling place. So mm-hmm. the Israelites had the idea that um, that the temple was the dwelling place of God. It was the place on earth where you, where you could come and meet God. And for for us as Catholics, we have, we have something of the same idea, a fulfillment of that ancient type and even greater reality present. Uh, but here in our churches, God is present, which is why praying in your home is not the same as praying in your church. Yes, you can talk to God in your home, but placing yourselves in the presence of Christ will have greater effects because you are actually literally near him. I've said this, you know, this is something that we have learned from the COVID pandemic, right? Mm. There is an important and very real difference between being connected and being present. Mm. Right. And we, I think we experienced that void in that hunger and desire to be in the Lord's presence when there was that period of time where we couldn't have mass together, right? Right. We could live stream that we could be connected, but there was still a a sadness, a longing to be in the presence of, of our God. And you said, yes, we should always be praying, you know, and this is the great joy of our life is that we can pray anywhere and heeding the instructions of our Lord to go into our inner rooms and pray um, so that the Heavenly Father who knows in secrets can reward us in that way and build that relationship. But there's also this deeper hunger to come into the physical presence of God in the Eucharist and to, to build a relationship in his presence because that's how relationships are built is when you're in the presence of the other. Right. After the tabernacle, I would say the the second most important element inside any Catholic church is the altar. Yeah. The altar is the place where heaven (laughs) touches earth. Uh, The altar is the place where the sacrifice of Calvary is made present to us. Not offered again. Christ died once and for all for the sins of the world on Calvary Hill. And yet the graces, the merits of that sacrifice are made present to us when the priest consecrates when the priest acting in persona Christi with the mind of the church consecrates the bread and wine and they become for us the body and blood of Jesus. So the altar is a sacred thing upon which the sacrifice of Christ is made present. 
um, Brother Joseph Anthony, what what is important to you about Catholic altars? What do you think our listeners need to hear? I think it's extremely important to understand that although things may reflect other aspects of our daily life, there's something unique and different. This is not just a table, right? Right. right. You have a table in your house, right? Right. right. Even maybe, maybe you have a fancy table too, and you're like <laughs> kind of fancy dining room that you use once a year. I mean, but the altar is not just a table. It has that aspect to it. There's a sacred meal that takes place, but the altar also is where sacrifice takes place. And this is something that, I mean, we can talk again and again and again about, but the Mass is, is, is a real sacrifice, mm-hmm. and how important that is to understand that, that there's something being offered to God in, from that altar, right? And even in Catholic altars, too, there's this long-standing history that it is, represents a table, it represents the altar of sacrifice, but also represents a tomb, mm. Right? And for so uh, so many of us, we have this kind of inclination, but don't really understand fully. But every Catholic altar has to have, when it's consecrated by the bishop, he takes relics of saints, ideally martyrs, those who have sac- made the ultimate sacrifice, giving their life, shedding their blood for the name of Jesus, that they are entombed, their relics are enclosed in that altar. And from what to the world looks like death, destruction, is actually eternal life. And we're reminded by that. This is why, this is why you see the priest kiss the altar. Mm. He's kissing and reverencing the relics of our forebears, the ones who are forerunners, you know, the ones who go before us to remind us that we too are to imitate them. And that what looks to be death, right, the cross, to everybody that stood there, it looked like failure. It looked like death. Mm. But this was new life. Right. Yeah, so when we enter Catholic churches, we genuflect that it's that posture of kneeling on one knee. We genuflect to the tabernacle um, where the Blessed Sacrament is reposed. We genuflect to Christ present, you know, posturing ourselves as servants before their Lord. And we venerate, as Father Joseph Anthony is saying, the altar because, uh, for, as he said, it contains the relics of saints, but also because it is the place upon which the sacrifice happens. It's a consecrated object. It is itself a holy thing. So one wouldn't just have any other kind of snack off of an altar. It, it, it wouldn't do. It wouldn't do. And I think that's, that's a word that we may have thrown around a little bit, but I think we should kind of pump the brakes just slightly. Consecrated, hmm. right? To be consecrated is to be set apart for God, right? This is why we the altar isn't used right for you know pizza afterwards at the fellowship time we'll right. get those little plastic folding tables from right. outside right? right the altar is reserved it's set apart aside for god's purpose right and so when we keep talking about things that are consecrated in, in an extended way the consecrated life of vowed religious were set apart for god in in a unique way. So there's so many aspects of our churches and the things that maybe they reflect some things that we've seen elsewhere in our life, like a table or a a chalice, a cup, or things like that. But this 
this individual thing has been consecrated and set apart for gods. Now, in the time that remains, what are one or two more elements of a Catholic church that you think are worth noting? Um, As we sit here in this beautiful chapel, and it's uh, late afternoon, and we're recording this, the sun is just cascading through this beautiful stained glass windows Mm. and illuminating and casting this kind of uh, flood, if you will, of colors throughout this chapel. Um, And stained glass windows have this strong importance within uh, the Catholic Church, right? Mm. And we see that as it allows the light, right? The It allows the light from outside to illuminate, but w- the experience, the one who's inside the church receives that light being filtered through that stained glass in these different hues and shades. But so many Catholic churches have taken that stained glass and not just put geogra- or geometric shapes and random color palettes there, but it's actually depicting scenes of the life of Christ, S- saints, the scenes of those. And so what we actually receive is this kind of illuminating light, but being filtered through the saints, being received through the life of Christ as we sit there and allows us who sit in these churches to actually meditate and receive this kind of illuminating light of the Lord as it's being received and handed to us through the life of Christ or through the life of the saints as they followed Christ as well. Remembering what St. Paul always said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Right. Now, it's not an essential feature because you will find churches uh, churches without it, but I, 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 do, I do think it's a tragedy when they lack it. But Catholic churches are often distinguished as such, by a large principal crucifix, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is certainly the case uh, here in this chapel. And um, priests will also place smaller crucifixes on altars. The crucifix is so essential because it draws our minds to the work that is being done in the church, which you know, when we were talking about the <laughs> altar, we, we we were thinking theologically about this, that the, the Eucharist is the making present again of Christ's sacrifice on Calvary. So it's our our lifeline. You know, we couldn't stand there on Golgotha when Jesus died. We, we, we weren't there. But how do we tap into those graces? Well, by, by, by coming to the church, by participating in the Mass, by being prepared for the ritual action of Sunday. Um, and the crucifix reminds us of that, especially especially large and beautiful crucifixes. They remind us that that is what this place is for. I once uh, remember a friend telling me that her young daughter uh, called out in the middle of Mass, be careful up there, Jesus. Oh my the, the, the priest had been <laughs> preaching about the crucifixion, and she was worried that something was going to happen to Jesus there <laughs> on the cross in their church. But the, the crucifix, um, which is a, a depiction not just of the cross, but also the corpus, the precious body of Christ, yeah. um, allows us to make this connection between Calvary and the body of Christ, the Corpus Christi that we receive in Holy Communion. And that there's there's something, I think Catholics understand that there's something lacking when we see just the shape of a cross um, without the depiction of Christ, because for us it's only half the mystery. Uh, Cal- Calvary, Calvary is the, 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 the way that salvation was wrought, but, but the Eucharist, the body of Christ, our, partici- our participation therein is how that mystery becomes the way by it's the way by which that mystery becomes present to our lives. And I think as we look through this, right, one of the um, 
aspects of the Catholic churches that help us. And I remember last night as we prayed together with all of our retreatants is Catholic churches have a lot of candles too, Mm. right? Yes. And it's not because we as Catholics love to be pyromaniacs, (laughs) but we do, you know, we, we set things on fire. We light charcoals and, and thurbles and hand it to middle school boys and tell them to be altar servers and swing fire around you know we we do appreciate the fire but you'll find those side altars right those statues and we can light that those candles uh whether the candles in front of those altars and statues but catholic churches have this long history with having candles in right them. right and it's that opportunity for us to especially the beeswax candles you know as we see the wax slowly fall Right. It reminds us of, you know, the death and then the resurrection as well with those new flames that continually burn. And especially when we are lighting candles and attaching our prayers to them. Right. And offering those prayers so that they can be uh, that individual intention and prayer can remain in front of God. Right. And be offered to him even when we physically can't remain in his presence. As we depart, we leave our prayers and our attentions, our loved ones, in that act. um, And it's symbol and it's reflected by that small flicker of a candle. Right. And, of course, every church has the great candle, the paschal candle, the Easter candle Mm -hmm. consecrated in the the holy night uh, in the Easter vigil. And the, the, the paschal candle, which is also called the Christ candle, is a symbol to us of Jesus who is, as he said, the light of the world. And when we see all these other, other, other smaller candles, they should remind us of, of Christ, of the light that he brings, and allow us to see the way that he pierces the darkness, illuminating the mysteries of God and clarifying uh, the darknesses uh, of our hearts. Um, yeah, candles, an essential thing, a big deal for Catholics. So there are many other things you know, that yeah, could be said about our about our churches, but hopefully this is a helpful primer and for people that attend mass every week, um, hopefully that, uh, hopefully that these points about the architecture of the church would lead you into a deeper communion with God, a greater closeness and a richer understanding of what it is that, that we're doing when we, when we pray together in the Holy mass. Um, for those of you that support the podcast on Patreon, thank you. We're very grateful. Uh, thanks to, thanks to your generosity. We've been able to continue to upgrade our technology and improve um, and improve the weekly episodes, and we're looking forward to doing more and more um, with the podcast. This uh, the the retreat that was recently held here at Immaculate Conception Seminary was extraordinary, and we hope just the beginning of many good things to come. As has been announced, um, we're going on pilgrimage. That's right. Father That's right. Jacob Bertrand and Father Gregory Pine are presently scheduled to lead uh, a pilgrimage on the Camino this spring. So, if you're interested in that, check it out on the website. Father Jacob Bertrand and I have also co-authored a book about the life of St. Dominic, our founder, the founder of the Dominican Order. This August, St. Dominic uh, will, well, we will celebrate this August, St. Dominic's, the anniversary of the, in the 800th anniversary of St. Dominic's death. Wow, I got to work that out a little bit. Um, as we mark the anniversary, Father Jacob Bertrand and I wanted a new way to present St. Dominic's life and to celebrate his legacy. So we've authored a biography of sorts about him, um, which is available from our Sunday visitor. You can find links to that on our website, um, godsplaining.org. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing the podcast. Thank you for presenting our content to people that you think 
need to hear us, follow us on social media, um, continue to spread the good word about what we're trying to do. And most of all, thank you for your prayers. God bless. Thanks for listening to God's Planning, a work of the Dominican Friars of the province of St. Joseph. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Leave a review on your podcast app and visit us at godsplaining.org.